Thrasher. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three of the Ruthless Aggression podcast. Uh, we're your hosts. My name's Dave. I'm joined again by CJ. Hi, guys. Nice to see you again. And also joined this time for the first appearance on the podcast is the third member of the triad. Uh, that's Mike. How are we doing, Mike? Not bad, guys. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the fun. Uh, Mike, if you just want to give, um, I don't know, a little bit about yourself to the listeners at home, um, just let them know a bit of, obviously, your history with been wrestling, what you like, what you don't like. I started watching wrestling back in 99, I think it were. First pay-per-view match I just saw was uh, WrestleMania 2000, which, after, you know, WrestleMania is following that, not the best one. Main products now, like uh, NXT, more than Raw and SmackDown, because it's all wrestling, less promos. I think that's the that's the angle with NXT, though, isn't it? That's, that's what gets your hardcore fans. Um, that, have, that have been watching it for years and years and they don't watch it for the gimmicks or the storylines. They actually watch it just for wrestling. NXT is is WWE's own indie product and I think that's what, what draws in a lot of the fans. Yeah. Oh, I definitely agree. Definitely. I think I think NXT, when NXT got, you know, started getting that steam, rolling steam, or however you put it, um, I think when they when they started, you know, building and getting really good, um, you know, WWE has, has always been demolishing to other promotions such as TNA, but I think when NXT came in, that took away some of the core TNA fans because they could see a better product on a bigger scale as well. That, that's how I feel. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think if you look at the current NXT roster at the minute, um, just look at how many of the so-called internet indie darlings that are in there. It's, it's an internet fan's fantasy, isn't it, at the minute with NXT? While we're here, actually, we might as well touch on it. It's been in the news um, last couple of days. Looks like WWE is going to purchase the TNA video library. Yeah. Would yeah. we bring it out an AJ Styles DVD possible? Could it be a Samoa Joe DVD as well in the works for when he gets called up? I think it's hard to, to think that, you know, TNA will still be around, but in a different name, but you'll still be able to watch TNA. Yeah, that's the, the weird thing. That's the weird bit. So Billy Corgan's taking over, but WWE's buying... They're not buying the... Well, what I've read, and granted, it's only on the internet, so take it with what you want. But what I've read, uh, WWE are just buying the video library, probably to put on the network or and make specials, like we've just mentioned. But but they can't use the name TNA anymore. So, because is going to own... It, it's very convoluted, uh, but it, just, it looks like that Billy Corgan's going to turn it into like Smashing Pumpkins Wrestling. Smashing Pumpkins like Wrestling. I'm telling you, that's the one it's got to be. Um, but it's it's which what he what does he see in a wrestling company? What does he think, or how does he 
how does he kind of see or portray what a wrestling company should be? It, it's interesting, especially where TNA at the minute, they've had many, many years of uncertainty, let's say, and they've hitting a, hitting a bit of a peak on a creative level at the minute. So it's a horrible time for this to happen from a, a TNA, I don't know what, Smashing Pumpkins wrestling point of view. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, however, you just got to think that when they did have the money and did have the finance and they could put on these shows and at one time they were actually touring as well, um, maybe they should have been a bit more creative then rather than leave it till now. Um, granted, Matt Hardy wasn't around at that point, but still they had plenty of talent in there that could have they could have been created with. They've got a guy called Abyss over there and that guy Abyss, he's like, you know, they could do so much more with him. They could have done so much more with him and it's only now that they've actually decided to do something decent with him. Um, well, there was, all, there, was, there was Joseph Parks. Remember yeah, you got to remember Parks? Hulk Hogan went over there. <laughs> Mate, I, I just think that the guy Abyss... What, my brother, Chris? The guy Abyss, <laughs> he could, he would be a good asset to WWE if he was used right. I think that. Yeah. He had a tryout, did he? But he got stage fright. What? I, I've never heard this. This is one. Breaking news on the Ruthless Aggression podcast. Like 2010 or something. He was supposed to be the, uh, the fake Kane. Whatever that match happened. Wow. Instead of uh, Luke Gallows. Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah, yeah. Did they have it on the... Was it an Armageddon paper or something? They had Kane versus the imposter Kane. Yeah, sort of. How times could have changed. Wow, I never knew that. That's just like a little mark-out moment for me. <laughs> well, broken Matt Hardy is probably the only good thing going in TNA right now. Broken Matt Hardy is absolutely brilliant. However, yeah. Jeff still gets a bigger pop. One. Jeff still gets a bigger pop. Oh, Jeff's still. always been Jeff's always been the superstar. Matt, he always Matt, will. He's always been the superstar. Matt's Matt's always been the second one there. Matt's always been the Genetti. Um, but I think this is we've seen a bit of a, a career resurgence I think Matt Hardy's hitting his peak of it and all it took was a, a change of accent a change of hairstyle and there you go Matt Hardy's got his brand new fresh gimmick and I'm fearful if he does ever move to WWE with this gimmick feed him to uh, Bray Wyatt it could be the only way <laughs> So it's SummerSlam 2002, it's Sunday, August the 25th, and we're live from the Veterans Memorial Coliseum with 14,797 in attendance. Now, to many, this SummerSlam is one of the greatest of all time. Um, the card is stacked from top to bottom. There's not really any gimmicky matches. Uh, for me personally, um, I think it's up there with one of the best. For me, it's not the best. I'm a SummerSlam 92 boy. Brett and Bulldog, awesome. Um, I don't know about you, CJ, what do you reckon? Best, best SummerSlam? In my opinion, it was SummerSlam 2000. Um, there were some great matches in there. Obviously, the one that stand out... Well, the, the one bit to 2000 that stood out for me was, was Steve Blackman versus Shane McMahon. Uh, Shane McMahon getting taken off the Titantron. That was just... I've never, I, you'd seen it at Backlash, um, but seeing it at SummerSlam, that just, you know... And obviously TLC as well. You, uh, what about you, mate? What about you, Mike? Uh, mine was also 2002. TLC won. Rock versus Triple H, yes, Kurt Angle, Undertaker and Kane match. All great matches. Great card. This 2002 is a close second, though. 
We start with the dark match, um, which is Spike Dudley versus Stevie Richards. Um, touch on it slightly, Spike has gone from opening vengeance to uh, being in the dark match at uh, SummerSlam. Uh, I don't know about you, Mike. I think that's a bit of a, a bit of a, a drop from uh, from the card. Let's say I know it's only Spike Dudley, but it's a bit of a drop to be now doing the dark match. Yeah, definitely. But then again, against again, Stevie Richards, I mean, what has he done that's relevant or insane other than the BWO in ECW? The only thing that I feel that Stevie Richards ever did entertaining was the right to censor in regards to WWE anyway. Um, he has got the, the attire he wore just annoyed me with his little denim shorts, his silly little crop top, and then his rip-off of Shawn Michaels' Sweet Chair Music called it the Stevie Kick. Um, you know, I haven't got... It's not negative towards him. I don't feel like... I mean, I want every wrestler to work, to do well, but for me, I've just never, ever been invested in that guy. He just doesn't do it for me. And poor little Spike, if he's not with the Dudley boys, if, if he's not with the Dudley boys, he's, he's nothing, as far as I'm concerned. I think that's the worst thing with Spike, um, because he dresses like the Dudleys he always has. Back in ECW, he wore the tie-dye colours. Uh, when they came to WWE, when Spike came, he, he aligned with the Dudley boys straight away, so wore their colours. Um, I think he just never, he was never able to become himself, even when he had, uh, I think it was it the, he holds the titles with Taz, bit further down the line, uh, him and Taz are tag champions. Um, he's still seen as, he's always mentioned as one of the Dudley family. He's never just been Spike on his own or try and even try to rebranded himself at any point during his career. Um, and I think that's kind of why he's now in the dark match. Um, so we lead to our opening match of the night. Wow, wow, wow. It's Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio. Yeah, my God. Uh, Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle. Um, you, you couldn't Opening pick, the card. Yeah, you, you couldn't pick a better opening match. Um, Rey Mysterio, you know, fresh off coming from, you know, being coming out of his WCW contract, coming into the WWE. He'd only been there like less than a year. And, um, you know, he's, you know, it's Kurt Angle, Kurt freaking Angle and Rey Mysterio. One's a high flyer, one's a technician. Two of the best sort of wrestling techniques that you want uh, to go against each other because it just it was amazing it was i was really impressed oh, it was a great opener the crowd completely straight away right into it you can't get any better than angle one of the greatest of all time maybe say one of the greatest luchadors of all time two separate styles clashing magic to open the card as well it's a uh... This this is this is a main event in any other era in wrestling. This is a main event match, and this opens the card. Um, quite an interesting, obviously, storyline coming up to it. There wasn't much of a background, apart from Ray had just debuted on uh, on SmackDown. Um, Kurt Angle said he wanted to break his ankle. He was going to go to SummerSlam and break Rey Mysterio's ankle. Uh, now, I don't know, cast your minds back, um, CJ, Rey Mysterio, any sort of memories of Rey Mysterio before he debuted for SmackDown? Um, obviously, a couple of months before this pay-per-view. Well, a month or so before. Yeah, um, a lot of fun memories. Um, I, I can I, I can actually remember when they did the Vigilantes for when he was actually going to debut the WWE, and I got really excited because I think I said in the last podcast, I don't know if I did or not, but I was a, a WCW boy because uh, that's what I could get free on TV. <laughs> yeah, um, but when he was in the WCW, um, he was over then. Um, the only one downer to him being in WCW was when his mask got taken off him, took away the mystique, of the mysteriousness. 
Kevin Nash and yeah. he, he popped up last time and he's popped up now. Get off our timeline, Kevin Nash, and stop getting involved. And then, it, and then he was with the uh, Filthy Animals, which was... Uh, they were awful. They had, a, they had a cool entrance theme music. Wow. Yeah, that's, all it, that's all they had. And then Rey Mysterio had his little horns. And he just, you know... Th- and I'm glad that they left it for a while until they, you know, brought him into WWE. Yeah. So they could, you know, he could get that mystique back again for fans that probably didn't know who he was. Well, I think he couldn't. Yeah, definitely. I think there's no way he could have. I don't know what you think about it, Mike. Um, I think there's no way that he could have come on with the invasion because the last thing that people saw Rey Mysterio was Rey Mysterio in dungarees without his mask on. Definitely the worst time. I mean, the whole invasion angle in itself, there was, from WCW, there was only DDP and Booker T who were actual stars from WCW. It came over then. What about Sean Stasiak? <laughs> what about Sugar Shane Helms? <laughs> Chavo Guerrero. The only memory of Sean Stasiak I have is the rock throwing him over the top rope on the left of SmackDown five times in a row. I, the only memory I have of Sean Stasiak was, I think it was, uh, oh, when was it? When, yeah, I think it was the same sort of time period that you're on about, Mike, where it was out to, I think it was to get somebody, Austin had set him a challenge to get someone, and every backstage segment, it was Sean Stasiak missing by a second. Whether him falling over, falling through a door, or it was, it was well, let's uh, let's end it. Sean Stasiak on one word and one word alone, meat. <laughs> oh, he took the words right out of my mouth. Meat, mate. <laughs> I used to play. I used to play with him all the time on WrestleMania 2000 on the N64. He was the greatest character on that game. Meat. <laughs> Mike, any uh, fond memories of meat? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say no. It's been a phrasing. So it's Rey Mysterio versus Kurt Angle. Um, I thought a great start to the match. It had one of my favourite spots um, where the music comes off. The uh, Usually the heel looks towards the entrance ramp. The face isn't there. The face where he pops up underneath the ring and typical Rey Mysterio dives off the ropes into a head scissors. Oh, I've done a great, great spot. Um, Mysterio got Angle at one point on the ropes for the 619. Um, but then Angle ducked and then just dominated Mysterio from that point on. Uh, Mysterio had a couple of spots. He was able to execute a senton from the ring to the floor. Um, and then Mysterio did deliver a 619, followed up for a West Coast pop. And I thought then that Mysterio was going to get the win. Um, I thought, debut, pay-per-view match against big star like Kurt Angle. I thought, could this be Kurt Angle giving him the rub and, and giving Rey Mysterio the win then? Uh, but obviously it wasn't. It was just a near fall. And then the finish, um, he saw Angle reverse a, a attempted like diving hurricanrana from Ray directly into an ankle lock, and nobody gets out of the ankle lock. Um, so obviously Ray Mysterio tapped, and then Angle won. Um, I don't know, CJ, um, any sort of spots or any highlights you remember from this match? Um, yeah, all round great match. Um, Ray Mysterio's got that great thing about him where he is the ultimate underdog. Every single match he goes in, you believe that he could actually win win the match, um, and the other thing he gets is, um, well, I, I always remember this, strangely enough, is whenever the WWE were in San Diego, that crowd would go mental when Rey Mysterio got in the ring. Mental. San Diego loved the guy. Obviously, it's his hometown, but there's not many people, apart from maybe Bret Hart, that get that big a pop for being in their hometown. Definitely agree on that one. Like you said, great match. Some great spots, like when Mysterio counted the angle, slamming to a knob joke. 
that was awesome. Funny enough, that was the same thing that took Angle out of the match in WrestleMania 22, if you recall. That, but that rest curse pop, first time he's done it in WWE ring. Like you said, Dave, it could have ended the match there. It's a brilliant great move. move for Mysterio. It's absolutely brilliant move. It's a shame that Rey Mysterio's knees got bad um, a bit later in his career and he had to stop doing that and just do that seated senton. It just it, it didn't ever really have the same effect. That West Coast pop was an awesome move. One of the best, one of the best finishers in this time period. Yeah, you'd have to have a certain guy to take that West Coast pop though. Oh, you can't do it on Big Show. <laughs> no, you'd have to have a certain. That's that's the thing though to make you know. That's the annoying thing about such great moves such as the West Coast pop or any move where, which involves you know some athleticism. Um, you can only do it to certain guys that can take it. But does that not like kind of highlight how good this time period was? Because you had Jericho, Benoit, Angle, yeah, Edge, Guerrero, all these same built wrestlers that could take a move like that. Would you not agree seeing the big show take a West Coast pop would look absolutely awesome? It'd be oh no, great Carly. I would look, it would look awesome. But it <laughs> I, I want to see Big Show deliver a West Coast pop. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool if he did that. He's he's quite athletic. I think if he tried hard enough, he possibly could. Well, Big Show nineteen. Probably not these days. Well, Big Show nineteen ninety five used to deliver moonsaults, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and, and drop kicks from the top row. And drop kicks. Well, he could do that now. <laughs> well, I don't. There's not much Big Show can do now, is there? To be fair. No. He gets carded around in a wheelchair backstage most of the time to save his legs. <laughs> That's a uh, true hashtag true fact. He won forklift. <laughs> it's not good, not good. But yeah, the, this this match itself, um, I think, like what we've already said, it's the bloody opening match. Um, this could be a main event on any any card. Um, Kurt Angle is one of the most gifted athletes to ever step foot in the ring. Um, obviously, he's an Olympic gold medalist, and from the second he debuted in the WWE, he had it. He just seemed to, he just got it straight away. Jericho will tell you about it. It's the same sort of it. Um, and he never disappoints when he gets in the ring, and he definitely disappoints um, in, in this match. Um, Rey Mysterio, he's been wrestling since he was a young kid. Um, he's been in Mexico. He's been in WCW, ECW, all around the world. He knows how to do it, to, to, to do a good match, let's say. He's probably not very early for Rey Mysterio to learn how to sell a story, because if you watch many Lucha matches from back in the day, it was spot after spot after spot. There weren't really much storytelling into it. Um, but these two, they brought down the house. Um, I'd say it easily could have been the main event. And it was the opening match. And what a match it was. Thumbs up from me. Two from me. So we get our first backstage moment of the night. Um, Stephanie McMahon, she walks into the general manager's office and she's upset to find Bischoff there. Um, they explained, exchange pleasantries um, and they agree to share the office as it's the only GM office there. Uh, now, I've got to say, lads, Stephanie McMahon, this time period, I touched on it last time, and I'll keep going on about it. How smoking does she look? I don't know if it's the the general Brilliant. manager attitude or it's the business dress, but she's gone in the space of a year, in literally in the space of a year, from being running the the ECW and the Invasion storyline to being where she is now, and she just looks. Uh, Triple H is one lucky man. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree there. She is. Um, I think there's one thing about Stephanie Man. I think, um, granted, if she didn't. If she didn't come from a wealthy background, um, well, she wouldn't be in wrestling, but I don't think she'd be as good looking as she is. She maintains herself. She looks after herself. And I think money is a big factor there. Um, but she is, she's not only hot, but she's also a very savvy, smart woman. And she knows exactly what she's doing. And she knows how to work a crowd as well. 
So up next is our second match of the night. It's Ric Flair versus Chris Jericho. Um, yet again, we've had two matches, four wrestlers, all of them world-class. What a start to the pay-per-view. Um, the guys didn't have too much of a build-up, really, around the match. Um, they were kind of just paired up and have a very violent feud. It was, um, I don't know if you, if you watch much of the build-up and the, sort of the, the Raw and SmackDowns before. Um, well, it was Raw, sorry, before. Uh, there was not much sort of promos between them, not much interaction on the microphone. It was very much just a violent, aggressive build-up to a feud. They just started attacking each other. Um, there was the episode where Fozzie was performing, uh, and maybe Ric Flair just came out of nowhere. It was like Ric Flair's this 50, 60-year-old man destroying loads of guitars and, and drum kits and all sorts, and, and Chris Jericho included, on the stage. It was an interesting build-up, to be fair, to, um, to what interesting match, let's say that. Yeah, Ric Flair, greatest of all time. There were no guy that could ever lace that guy's boots, in my opinion. Nobody. Um, however, for me, uh, since he came... Once he once the WCW days were over, Ric Flair was not the man he was um, in terms of you know his, his wrestling ability and I mean he'll always be able to talk on the mic always I mean he'll 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 be wooing and chopping his chest just chopping people in his grave you know but his the, his wrestling ability really showed once he you know came over to WWE did a good job but not he just have he didn't have no pun intended the flair in the WWE as much as he did in the WCW. Chris Jericho, he's a guy that, you know, you love him, you love him, you love to hate him, you hate him and you love him. He can just, you know, he can mould into absolutely any character you want him to be. He can control the crowd. And again, this is another guy who's got it. And you want to watch his matches. You want to watch who he's fighting. And, you know, him and Ric Flair together in the same ring, fireworks, mate. Absolute fireworks. Sorry, Chris Joker's got what? It. It. <laughs> it. <laughs> this match could have been a lot better, though, considering who was involved. It was pretty much a slot fest. At this point in Joker's career, he's more focused on which style to have his beard. Oh, it was beardtastic tonight. But fact time, this was Ric Flair's first ever SummerSlam appearance. Yeah, it was It was at the 92. I was kind of arguing watching, uh, watching it back, because he was at 92. Um, because it, when it was uh, Warrior against Randy Savage for the title, and Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect, they were, the build-up was which side were they going to be on, were they going to be in Savage's corner or Warrior's corner, and they came down halfway dur uh, during the match. So he made an appearance, so I think they could have just worded it differently. I think it's his first, his first, his first match. match. Yeah, but it's they didn't word it correctly, and I was a bit, a bit knocked with the WWE, let's say, when they said that. Because it's not his first appearance. It was at 92, and it was the best SummerSlam ever. Match wasn't, like I said, it was a sloppy fest. It was a it was a chop mm. fest from Flair. I think, to touch on what CJ said a bit ago, um, yeah. Ric Flair is nowhere near where he used to be wrestling-wise. And all you saw from Ric Flair this entire match was chops and a couple of figure fours. I've got a question to raise to the pair of you, and I, and I don't know the reason why he does this, but I don't, I don't even know if you've noticed it. But you know whenever Ric Flair takes a backdrop, have you ever noticed how he goes to the side rather than go onto his back? Yeah, he, he does it every. He never takes a flat back bump, never. He's never. I don't know why, but he'll happily take a forward one when he does his little flare flop. Mm. He doesn't take a flare flop onto the side. It's just, you know, 
Rick Flair, on a side note, in the news recently with the uh, Space Mountain allegations with uh, <laughs> Halle Berry. Do you think he actually? Do you, do you think he took a Halle Berry to Space Mountain, or do you think he's just bullshitting? What do you think? Every girl took a ride on Space Mountain. Do you think Rick Flair's had sex with Halle Berry? Do I? Do I? Do I, th- do I think he has? No. Do I hope he has? Hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Halle Berry is a very lucky woman if she has, I'm guessing. That's why, why, She's the lucky why, one. Woo! How would he make that up? Why? why what, what is he getting out of it? Publicity. Bad publicity it. as well. Yeah, but he doesn't need the publicity. Everyone knows who Ric Flair is. I would say it's bad publicity saying that you've slept with Halle Berry. Yeah, but if he's made out to be a liar, he can get. He could, he's had enough lawsuits, that guy. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Show these next lawsuits free. Totally car scheme. Has he had four divorces now or something? Uh, but his wife looks about 10. She's ridiculously young. His wife is younger than Charlotte, I'm sure she is. Still styling, profiling. Even at 75 or all her old years. Gotta be older than that. You reckon older than sure. 75? No. He looks it. He was 64 in WrestleMania 23 when he got suplexed from Matt Hardy off the ladder. Yeah, he's, so he's 72. And how did he take that bump, though, when he got suplexed? He didn't take it on his back, he did it on his side. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, Ric Flair is 67 years old. Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've got a Wikipedia page about me. <laughs> so the finish of the match, we see Flair chop Joko right into the referee, followed by Flair to do a traditional low blow. Joko drops, Flair locks in figure four, and Joko taps. What were you guys' thoughts on the finish? Um, yeah, I think it was. I didn't like the match. I think I was off put. I was so excited by the fact that it's Ric Flair against Jericho. I thought it could have a great contrasting styles. Um, but yeah, it was, I was for one. I was kind of glad that it was over. I just wanted to move on. I think it, it's the only match on the card for me personally that didn't live to its hype that it could have. Um, I think there's there's a couple later down the line um, that, that we'll see like Undertaker Test. I think that never really had much hype to live up to. This did, um, and I think. The way it finished, I think, yeah, it was... I think Jericho, I would have preferred to win. I think Jericho had a lot more to lose, uh, losing the match. Uh, but, yeah, win for Ric Flair on the on, on the biggest pay-per-view of the summer. So then we cut to a backstage segment with uh, Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar. Uh, Brock, Paul Heyman's telling Brock Lesnar to murder The Rock's title reign, just like he murdered Hulk Hogan. And tonight, the next big thing arrives. Um, and then up next, we've got Eddie Guerrero versus Edge. Yet another match on this card that could be a main event on any single pay-per-view in any country at any time period. Um, Edge was on a bit of a roll as a single wrestler. Um, he's had a great feud with Kurt Angle and then he moved on to Guerrero after a brief title run with Hulk Hogan. Um, Guerrero, he'd not been back with the company that long after injury, um, but he had a series of good matches with Rob Van Dam on Raw before being traded to SmackDown. Michael Cole calls Edge the future of SmackDown. Now, CJ, how true did that prove to be? In 2002. Yeah. Um, okay, so you got a guy like Edge. Edge was in a tag team with Christian. They were at the top of their game at the time, you know, being Edge and Christian. Great moments, those guys. Uh, and then they had the breakaway where Christian would go his way, Edge would go his way. And straight away, you could tell from the two, 
who was the shining star, who was the Shawn Michaels of the Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. It was Edge, and uh, the guy just proved he was a solid worker, and he would, you know, he would put his body on the line, and he, you know, you'd see it in loads and loads of matches, and further down the timeline, you see some more great matches from the guy. Um, his moveset, his arsenal, everything about him, his look, he's just, you know, he, again, another guy who's got it. And then you've got the other guy who we all love, um, and I think we'd still love him even if he had not passed away. Eddie Guerrero is, you know, synonymous with wrestling. His family's synonymous with wrestling. The Guerrero family, his heritage is amazing. Uh, WCW, <clears throat> he had a he had a good run in WCW. He never got to reach the top in WCW, which, for political reasons, I think that's the reason. It's you know the reason why he didn't get to the top. Uh, made a great move coming to WWE. Um, gets in a program with China. Moves away from that, um, and then he starts to getting with Chavo with a little tag team. Um, but as a singles competitor, Eddie Guerrero on his best day, there are, there are very few people I think that can touch that guy. He's just um, I, I hate to keep using the word, but Eddie Guerrero, he's got everything. He hasn't got it. He's got everything. He had everything. He is, you know, the moves he can do, he can pull off, and the way he can get a crowd. Um, you know, getting behind him and want to know what he's going to do next. And he's lying, he's cheating, he's stealing. His whole his whole gimmick just just somebody you want to watch. He's on the TV, and he, sometimes at that period in time, he'd be the only guy I'd want to watch on TV because that's how insane he was. And you, Mike, what what you what would you say? Oh, both guys, great, phenomenal athletes. You, at this time, you could tell they were both future Hall of Famers, and one day they'd both win the title. This match was just great. From the start to finish, some great tactics by Eddie as well, like working on Edge's arm throughout the match. One bit it hits the frog splash onto Edge's arm, which I thought was pretty awesome. Not as awesome as Edge's DDT from the top rope, though, which almost for me and I thought that was the end of the match. There, Duck's clothesline hits spear one, two, three. Your thoughts on the finish, guys? Personally, I'm disappointed. Um, I would have preferred Eddie Guerrero to win, purely because I'm a bit of an Eddie Mark. Um, just to touch on what you said, Mike, I think it was great storytelling by Eddie during the match, um, how he targeted Edge's shoulder. Um, when he counted a spear, um, a, a spear attempt by Edge into a drop kick right into the shoulder, I think that was brilliant. And uh, again, like what you said about the frog splash uh, onto the shoulder, it was just so there was no need for the frog splash. There was no adding. The, he could have just done a normal smash, the, uh, splash. Sorry, there was nothing added by turning it into a frog splash. A uh, bit more momentum, I suppose, coming down. But hey ho. Uh, but yeah, the finish. Edge he rallied with a execution and then a spear to win. Um, but I, I don't want to sound like a broken record because I keep using the word like great and amazing. But my God, uh, that's what this whole card is. And yet again, we've proved it. Another match in. Um, we're on match three, and the previous two matches could have easily both been main events, and so could this one. They were no exception. Um, a technical war is probably the only way to describe it. Edge was trying to gain momentum as a single wrestler, and uh, Eddie never disappointed when in the ring. Uh, but yeah, just to touch on it again, it's a main event quality match, uh, but it's nice to watch a show that is straight wrestling. Uh, there's no cheesy gimmicks, no stipulations. Um, so far, with three matches in, and it's been three pure wrestling matches. This match did prove for both guys, though, that they deserve to be main eventers. No, definitely. definitely. But I think WWE, it's, it's not a problem. It's, it's probably a problem they'd love to have today. 
I think you've got too many guys in this main event, and the main event can only consist of so many people. Yeah, completely agree. Um, every guy in that locker room are all fighting for that um, top spot. They're, you know, just like you said, you're looking at SummerSlam now, and you're looking at the card, and you're looking at all these guys. Every single one of them. Um, so you got obviously Angle, Mysterio have both been champion. Uh, Jericho, Flair, both been champion. Edge, Guerrero, both been champion. So it does really show that you know. Obviously, further down the timeline, you see this when they're all getting the titles. and um, It's just they're all waiting for their time. They're waiting, you know, to be the top guy. Um, and you can see it's a, it's a long a long period before some of those guys actually get what they're, they're after. It takes another two years for Guerrero to get his title. Um, and you've got Rey Mysterio. It takes him another year, three years, is it? Three years? Yeah, 2005. Three years. Um, but it just shows, you know... You you look at all the generations of the wrestlers, you know, all the different eras and errors. You look at all of them and you look at the, the attitude error. You, you look at people like Austin, Rock, Triple H, Undertaker, and then it transitions and then you go to the, the uh, ruthless aggression era, which we're doing, and then it's transitioned against the PG era and so on and so forth. And it, it, it shows you just the, the progress the wrestlers make and it shows you who Vince McMahon or Triple H now would... Uh, see who, who, who they can see you know making that company money and uh they've got to have it they've got to have something about them for them to make the money for them to want to put that title on them they won't put a title on somebody if they don't think they're going to make any money out of them or they're not going to sell the merchandise so yeah i would i would definitely say that the competition at the moment is phenomenal and one last little thing is like what, what what makes me question this is the fact that there's no wcw around at this point there's no wcw so why can WWE at this point put on such an amazing product, but then the product we've got today isn't as great? I, I don't think it's it's entertaining, but it's not it's not ruthless aggression 2002, amazing, you know. And that's 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 what that's what it confuses me because there's no at that point in 2002 there was no competition, no direct competition for WWE, and yet they put on an amazing product, and that's probably because. They had amazing wrestlers at the time who were all future future champions. I don't know. That, that that's just my my little spin on it. I don't know. No, I think you, you've touched on a point, but I think I've got the answer for you. Um, if you look at this period of time, so you've got Jericho, he wrestled all the way around the world. You've got Benoit all the way around the world. Kurt Angle, yeah, he just had it. But you've got all these guys. Like Edge wrestled in Canada for many years with his brother. These days, take away your indie darlings. I'll take away your Kevin Owens, your Seth Rollins, uh, and all these, your indie darlings. And what you're left with is Vince McMahon, WWE-produced wrestlers. They get trained in the performance center. They get shown the WWE way. They, they don't get the opportunity to go and wrestle all around the world and learn all these different styles. Yeah, yeah, you do, that is a good point. Surely they could, you know... And the fact that they had everybody. Do you know how I many? It was 2002... ECW died, WCW died, anybody that could actually wrestle. Remember TNA, I think they're just about coming out now with the weekly pay-per-views. But anybody that could wrestle in the world wrestled for WWE at this moment in time. Yeah, but but currently in, in, in the current era at the moment, there are three separate brands. Three. NXT, SmackDown, Raw. And you'd think that they would at least try... Uh, and it's also the fact that you, another little point you touched on earlier, in this SummerSlam, it's pure wrestling. There's, there's not that many 
you know, there's not that many back, backstage skits and there's not that many people talking on a microphone. Um, no 20 minute promo start. Yeah, sure. You go on Raw now. Should always stay two hours. Three hours got boring after about three weeks worth of it. Yeah. Should be two hours. Two hours you can do more. When you get rid of the authority segments, it will be a two hour show. It's something that we could talk about all day, but obviously we're talking about SummerSlam. But I just started touching it a little bit. So then that leads us on then to a backstage segment with the Un-Americans. Um, now, I know I touched on it last time in the last episode. Big fan of the Un-Americans. And they've met, they even made it even better. Their T-shirts, amazing. American flag, upside down with the Un-American. Basic, simple, but just did exactly what they needed to do. Uh, they run down Long Island um, and saying that they're going to expose Booker T and Goldust for the American shams that they are. So that leads us on to the tag team title match of the evening. We've got Lance Storm and Christian of the Un-Americans against a great team during this period of time, Goldust and Booker T. Yeah, Booker T and Goldust, they're pretty much like the ruthless aggression version of Golden Truth. Too much comedy. Booker T, phenomenal athlete, and he's paired with Goldust. Goldust is due, he's been in company a long, long time. Too, too comedy. Yeah, I would agree with that. On, on certain bits. Um, yeah, Goldust is very comedy, um, but that's what the WWE needs. They do need that comical character. That's Santino Morella, and I thought he was amazing. He, he just entertained me thoroughly. Running away with a Subway sandwich from Jerry Lawler. I've got your sandwich running off. I thought that was hilarious. Um, well, back to Goldust. Goldust, he is, he's tried different gimmicks in different companies, and they've never worked out for him. Uh, Goldust... Is always going to be the the character he will be, and he'll always be known for Goldust, no matter what he does. Uh, and but he pulls it off, Goldust. He, he pulls Gold off, Goldust off really well. Booker T, on the other hand, um, yeah, he is a very odd pairing, Goldust and Booker T. You wouldn't imagine them being together, but I think it worked well. The chemistry between them both. Um, Booker T, you know, when he just looked freaked out by some of the the freaky stuff Goldust was doing, was thoroughly entertaining. And when they were in the ring together. They actually made a really good pair, and they did have really good wrestling matches. And you know, you were rooting for them to get that hot tag. And uh, I mean, the only thing I would disagree with you there is Golden Truth. They they can't light a candle on Booker T and Gold Goldust. Goldust and Golden and R Truth. Sorry, tingling my words there. They're just they are garbage compared Agreed. to Goldust and Booker T. Agreed. Uh, I think they've just tried to. You can see where they've tried what they've tried to do, and it's just copy exactly what we're watching. It's exactly what they tried to do, but I don't know why it worked. Uh, but I still can't explain it to this day. But Booker T and Goldust, personally, I thought they were absolutely amazing together. Um, they could not only make you laugh, but they also had great in-ring chemistry as well, and they were actually a decent tag team. Um, they, they could actually wrestle together, and they, they could do some decent, half-decent tag team moves. Uh, but just to touch on CJ, what you said about Goldust, and only everyone will only remember Goldust for Goldust. Personally, I will only ever remember Dustin Reynolds for seven. Oh, WCW's <laughs> paedophile character. Oh, my goodness. Seven. seven. Oh, they, that was, I mean, you, you couldn't get away with that now. You could not get away with that now. Well, they couldn't get let's, away with it then. <laughs> let, let's, well, back then it was a lot more edgy, but now it's, a, you know, you can't even cough without somebody trying to sue you now. Um, but, you know, let's just run through some of the gimmicks he's had. Right. I want you to name the, the gimmicks. Rain. Black Rain in TNA, yeah. We've had seven. We've had uh, 
We've had obviously gold dust. We've had Dustin Runnels when he was just dusting on his own. The natural. The natural, yeah, the natural Dustin Runnels. We've had the artist formerly known as Gold Dust when he came out looking like Madonna video. <laughs> this is the point I'm trying to make. The guy has he has tried because I think he doesn't want to be known as Gold Dust. Um, it has to be. Yeah, he, ha- he just has to be. Yeah. You say that we're Dustin Runnels, and you can say Goldust. If yeah, you're a wrestling fan, you know, you just associate him Goldust. I don't think he wants to be associated with Seven. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I don't think WCW would want to be associated with Seven if they were still going. That was. Uh, if you've not seen it, listeners, check it out on YouTube. I'll um, I'll even find try and find the video and link it to our uh, our Facebook page. Uh, the the promo or the uh, the vignette. Uh, with Dustin Rolls as seven is uh, is truly something that you'll 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 never forget. Let's say that much if you watch it. It's making me it's making me cringe just thinking about it. So, I uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the truth right now. When you told me it was a paedophile character, I didn't know. Now I feel sort of abused, kind of, because I <laughs> I didn't I didn't know he was a paedophile. He portrayed a paedophile. I'm gonna have to watch it now. I'm gonna have to watch it back. Vignette, I didn't know that. The vignette was Dustin Runnels flying through the sky. Um, and then peering into children's bedroom windows, uh, looking a bit like Uncle Fester. And then he made his debut. Uh, they decide, Well, I think it was the TV guys at the time that decided that WCW couldn't go with this. I think it was whatever network they were on. Um, so he made his debut as seven. He come floating out to the ring on this harness. He was about two feet above the floor. Uh, landed in the ring and then did a little shoot promo on how he was given this stupid gimmick and how Goldust was a stupid gimmick and... So he went off on one, um, but he had to like, kind of kill that character off there and then because WCW were in a big pile of shit if they would have carried on with their paedophile character. I don't know, right? Okay, 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 okay. Let's, let's, let, let's, I, I do want to digress. Um, okay, paedophile character and then a terrorist character. How can you get away? Like, I, I know they're, both, <laughs> they're both just as bad as each other, but how can you get away with having a terrorist on your, on your program? more than you can a paedophile, because they're both just... Do you, you, you see where I'm going here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mohamed Hassan was a wrestler for a long time before the uh, incident happened where he got fired, losing his job when he got the, like, the supposed terrorist attacked Undertaker. But he was still a like a Muslim sympathiser, whatever he was, his character, so he was still... And he, he came across as, as a terrorist, um, but he was on TV for a long period of time. But WCW could not, would not, and should have not ever done this with Seven. <laughs> <laughs> I do, it just make, it just it, it makes me wonder how they do you know how, how they get away with certain, how they have got away with certain things on TV because granted if the London bombings never happened we'd still have Mohammed Hassan oh guaranteed he'd be multiple time world champion as well yeah but how far would they have gone with him how far would they have gone with him in in forms of him being a terrorist you know if they knew that they, would they have pushed the boundaries with him how, what do, do you know what I mean I think well I think. They tried pushing the boundaries. I think that was the first step where they had him like doing the sort of prayer and calling out these terrorists to attack the Undertaker. Um, I think that was a, yeah, it was sort of a, a step in that direction of how far are they going to push him as being, how much can you do with a terrorist apart from be a, blow yourself up? Do you know what I mean? There's not many sort of things you can do. But yeah, he's, uh, I miss Mohamed Hassan. I always have done. I thought he was a great wrestler. Um, and Davari was a little twat. And everyone loved Devari. He played the perfect manager. Uh, and we'll see further down the timeline when he becomes Kurt Angle. This match was pretty much here. Heels conquer the, one member of the face team. One point, Lance Storm takes gold, uh, Booker T, sorry, off the apron. 
they, they both bring chairs in, but then Goldus hits the hot tag. Scissor kick, I'm pretty finishes central. Then Test comes in out of nowhere, boots Booker T in the face, allowing Christian to steal the victory. Not the greatest tag team match, especially for the titles. Mainly just a filler match on the card, I thought. It's two matches in a row where the tag team title matches had a dirty finish. Um, I think it kind of works on one hand because it's the Un-Americans and it's their character. But yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a decent match, to be fair. I don't think it was that bad. Um, again, like I said, Booker T and, um, and Goldust touched on it earlier. They've got great chemistry. Uh, Christian and Lance Storm touched on it last episode. Great mat wrestlers. Um, it was Yeah, it was, it was not bad. But yeah, it could have been better. And I think, um, personally for me, I can't wait for the titles. Even though I'm a massive fan of them, I think they're a great, um, great heel unit. I can't wait to see the titles come off the Un-Americans. Um, I don't know about you, Siege. Yeah, can't wait for them. Um, I'm completely opposite. I've made this completely clear. Um, the Un-Americans, we need, for me, if, granted, if they were better on the microphone, um, I'd be, I wouldn't mind them on the titles as much, but as a 12-year-old kid watching it at the time, anybody but the Un-Americans for me, anybody, as long as they can talk. See, I like the Americans compared to Booker T and Goldust, because I work the whole American glory, yeah. Obviously, because we're English. Um, that's why I prefer teams like the Un-Americans. But, you know, tag team wrestling, this was... I think that these few months were probably the lowest point of tag team wrestling in this era, at least. Yeah, I think... Yeah. I, think I just think there wasn't any actual tag teams. Um, you find a lot, a lot of the tag teams in this era were just two single wrestlers pushed together to make a tag team. Um, that can be said for the Un-Americans. Yeah, that, exactly. That can be said for the Un-Americans, um, where you've got three guys. You've got Christian, obviously known for his tag team wrestling, but with Edge and not with Lance Storm. Lance Storm, known for his tag team wrestling, but with uh, just incredible in ECW, not with any of these guys. So, yeah, it's, it's another one where you've got a tag team title match, the same as last episode, where you've got the four guys wrestling are not actual tag teams and just guys that have been pushed together. Yeah, I mean you've got I mean you've got to think that this is past way past now the the actual peak of tag team wrestling. And we all know who those three teams are Dudley Boys, Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian. When when that all stopped, then they were oh god. You know, they were thinking, Oh god, we we've just lost three great tag teams who have you know, apart from uh yeah, Dudley Boys, um they were on and off. Um, they were still there, but they weren't, you know, they weren't the tag team that we knew in 2000. So then it's just trying to find um, a tag team that is organic uh, and can actually put on a good show and have that chemistry, which Goldust and Booker T did have. No, definitely. And um, I'm looking forward to what Goldust and Booker T have got uh, going down the timeline and future events, see what more uh, sort of uh, shenanigans can get up to. Uh, right, so then we get a um, a little segment at the world where oh dear, Nidia and Jamie Noble they have a moment where Nidia or Jamie Noble is picking guys for Nidia to make out with. Wow, cuckold Yes. Moving on. Okay, guys. So obviously, when you watch the uh, you listen to the podcast last time, I did do my cheap plug, and here is another one for you. Uh, this is the CJ Show. Um, I'd just like you to. 
subscribe to my channel on YouTube, follow me on Facebook, uh, like me as well. Uh, at the moment, what I've got on there is I've got, currently got the tasting challenge where I taste Marmite, which I absolutely hate. Uh, I taste some um, gravy granules, dry, and also cinnamon. And the very latest video I've done is story time. Uh, it's based on true life facts about myself, uh, which people are finding very funny at the moment. So please do like me at the CJ Show. Thank you very much. Back to you, Dave. Into promotional title match, uh, IC title match. Uh, we've got Raw versus SmackDown. Chris Benoit versus Rob Van Dam. <laughs> So it's Rob Van Dam versus Chris Benoit for the Intercontinental title. One's on Raw, one's on SmackDown. Uh, they've been feuding over the Intercontinental title since Benoit won it on the July 29th episode of Raw. Um, shortly after this match, uh, Benoit took advantage of what he referred to as open season on wrestler contracts, and he took the title to, him to SmackDown. Um, so this is Rob Van Dam's opportunity now. You've got uh, Eric Bischoff and Stephen McMahon throughout the match. Uh, you cut to them backstage. We're obviously one's cheering for one, one's cheering for the other. I think uh, compared to the previous uh, pay-per-view vengeance last episode, um, you had a lot of backstage segments that weren't needed. I think the ones tonight, um, they kind of added to the match a little bit because you've just got that competition between Raw and SmackDown. Um, so Benoit and uh, Van Damme, two great styles of wrestlers. Um, I don't know what you thought, CJ, pairing them two together for a match. Yeah, good choice. Good choice, in my opinion. Uh, Rob Van Dam off the last match with Lesnar on the pay-per-view uh, came off. You know, we, we've had those thoughts on that one. Um, but you know, Rob Van Dam's always been able to go uh, in a match, and he can always put on a good, no pun intended, five-star match. Um, and then you've got Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit. You know, there's no not many words that needed for the man. Silent but deadly comes to mind for me for Chris Benoit. Um, he, he, he he's one of the very few wrestlers that can has managed to get across, get over with the crowd without having to talk that much, um, because he show he talks with his moves. Um, the amount of, you know, Brock Lesnar at the moment he's doing the German suplexes. He cannot touch Chris Benoit's German suplexes. Oh no, not at all. Chris Benoit snap suplexes. Chris Benoit flying headbutt. The cross cripple cross face. The yes lock's not got a candle again on the on the on the cripple cross face, and to put these two guys together um, is magic, uh, and I mean that absolute magic. Um, and again, these two guys, um, future WWE champions further down the timeline. So you just you know, I mean, at this point in time, would you class those two as like indie darlings? Would you would you class them two as like? You know, for the, the people our age in 2002? I'd say Van Damme, yes. Definitely. Because Van Damme people, we knew about... It depends what you want to kind of class as an indie darling. I think ECW was seen as that certain niche. What, probably only fans of NXT would watch ECW. I don't know if much modern-day WWE product fans would watch ECW. So that, in a way, was, I suppose, indie a little bit. Um yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Benoit, a lot of people knew him over his WCW days. So, But again, he was another indie darling. He performed all the way around the world. Benoit made his name over in Japan, where he had some phenomenal matches over in Japan. Yeah, and he was the sort of guy that, you know, he the matches he had, like, I, I could name loads of them. I'm not going to, but I could name a load that I, was, that I, I will always remember 
with Chris Benoit, the matches he had. And RVD as well, um, they're both... One's a really good technician that can do high-flying moves. Another one is a high-flyer uh, that can do, a, you know, can do a couple of te- technical moves. Um, but putting them together, they rehearse the match together before the match starts. Potentially, you could have the match that steals a show on the card. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think um, there's a lot of psychology in this match, and I think that's what Benoit always adds. Um, I think... They were brilliant throughout. They were controlling Van Damme's shoulder throughout the match. Again, just loads of nice psychology. And the match, it did take a while for it to win the crowd over. Um, but once the crowd got fully invested in it, sorry, CJ, I know it's your catchphrase. When they got fully invested in it, into the match, um, I thought it was brilliant. These two, just magic. Just like I go Mysterio, just like Edge and Eddie. Perfect. Great finish. Counter from RVD. Followed by five star frog splash. It was nice seeing Emma holding the Intercontinental title for a little while. I don't think he ever hold it, held it again after. I think it was a crime that he never held the WWE title before this, before he'd, he'd win it. Anyway. Ah, but he did. Nice. He did, technically. Benoit beat The Rock in a, in a match um, at a pay per view. But he didn't, because there was no. It was Shane who hit the referee a chair in that Oh, match. yes, fully loaded. Still, Benoit won. I've got that VHS tape. Yeah, I have to, I have to crack it out. Yes, because VHS is out. what the network used to be. <laughs> yeah. But no, um, just just to finish, uh, I think, yeah, cracking matching. Again, two such amazing top-level superstars. Both guys really knew how to work the crowd. Um, they were performing at the top level, and yet another match in, and yet another match that could be a main event at any card. We cut to the back. Eric Bischoff's gloating. Stephen McMahon, she's laughing it off, not too worried about it. Just a little thing that I noticed. Um, this is something I genuinely do not know why Stephanie McMahon is laughing hysterically uh, at Bisch- Bischoff. And the only thing I can think of is because Brock Lesnar may be going to SmackDown. That's the only thing. I may be completely in the wrong ear. I might, I might be off the ball, but that's the first thing that comes in my head thinking why she may be laughing. And then we get a video package highlighting the rise of the Un-Americans. I love this. Um, but the sad part was that half half of what they were saying about America was actually true, uh, even though they were trying to take the mick, let's say. Um, and then we lead us into our next match, Undertaker versus Test, two big powerhouses. So it's Undertaker versus Test. Now, Undertaker was coming off the back of a not-so-successful heel run, which I personally enjoyed, to be fair. Um, but... Test was a member of the Un-Americans, so when he's dissing America, Undertaker is in his American badass gimmick on the back of a heel run. The best thing to do for him um, is turn him face and obviously have him defend in America. Um, whether you like him or not, Test, personally, I think he could perform and was quite talented. Uh, the Undertaker is obviously the Undertaker, um, and I said, as I say, it's Undertaker during his American badass stage, um, which I think probably this is closest that we'll get to the real-life Mark Calloway in a WWE ring. Uh, with this, with this sort of uh, this gimmick he's got going, this biker gimmick. I just want to say, I love the American Badass gimmick. I'm probably the only person who did, but I thought it was awesome. Thought the match, Taker seemed bored. Jr. probably call it a slugfest. Never exaggerated way as he does. Obviously, the right person won it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, two big powerhouses going together with each other. Um, yeah, just you just a train wreck in my opinion. 
just just not what it was just a match to put them together in I think um, and just to touch on your you saying that you you believe that the Undertaker's American badass gimmick you you loved it I for one hated it absolutely hated it um, I thought that I, I was still to this day I still wonder. Um, why they ever did that with him? Why they get they took away the the, the dark side to him? Because that's the you know that was the mystique of the Undertaker for me. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was pretty badass in coming down on a motorbike to Limp Biscuit, which was pretty sick. I thought that was cool, um, but it gave him a reason to be quite lazy, in my opinion. He 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 he, he piled the weight on because um, I think he he was more comfortable as being the American badass because that's what that's that was himself. Um, but for me, it should have always been. And he should never have been the American badass. They should, uh, wrong move, in my opinion. Well, the uh, the match itself, very dull, uh, dull affair. Um, you got the, the finish, Lance Storm and Christian, they both interfered, uh, but they received chokes on from Undertaker. Um, it was one of them that you would just expected him to appear, and it was just a matter of time. Uh, Undertaker won the match with a tombstone pile driver. Pretty impressive to lift up a guy the size of Test and deliver a tombstone the way he did. And then Undertaker celebrates with an American flag. Good old USA. And then JR and King, uh, we cut to them and they discuss the un- uh, the upcoming unsanctioned match. 1,609 days after WrestleMania 14, HBK Shawn Michaels is back. In 1997, two best friends formed WWE's most notorious faction. The Generation X, Triple H, Generation And revolutionized sports entertainment. You make your rules and we will break up forever. We all got two words for ya! But injuries sidelined the showstopper until... Tonight, the game brings you the showstopper, the icon, Sean Michaels! Time to face facts, Sean. And the fact is, the game has passed you by. Shawn Michaels and I were never best friends. I used Shawn Michaels to get to the top. Now I am the showstopper. Now I am the icon. What the hell do you want? Stage manager, tell the game something. Keep going. What the hell happened? What the hell happened? Somebody get help. Somebody go and get some help. Somebody obviously ran his head right through the side of that car window. The only thing I know for sure, it was you, Hunter. You're damn right it was me, Sean. I was trying to prove a point that you are weak. You are vulnerable. You think I'm weak? I recognize that I'm not in the best of shape right now. The doctors have told me that I'll make a full recovery. In fact, they say I'll be 100%. 100% by, say, uh, SummerSlam. What? Was that some kind of a challenge? You're damn right. This is the first actual time that they've ever competed against each other. They had the match against uh, for the European title, 
But uh, Triple H, I've known Sean Michaels, so I just laid down for Triple H to pin him. Uh, but this is the first time they've ever met, uh, which I found quite surprising, say how many years they were on the road together during like the new generation era. Well, Shawn Michaels has even said in some of the um, some of the, vi- the videos I watched, um, he he didn't want to go into that match with anybody apart from Triple H, because he knew that obviously with him having that bad back, he wanted to be kept safe, and Triple H was his best buddy, and kept kept him safe in that match. But obviously, after all the injuries that Shawn had, uh, it, it, well, all the injuries that Shawn suffered, uh, when he did come back for this match, no one actually really knew if it was only going to be a one-time thing. Um, even Sean and Triple H have said in interviews that they were not sure and it wasn't until after the match that Sean decided he was well enough to return to the ring full-time again. Um, although in 2002, Triple H was already a former world champion. He wasn't in the shadow of uh, Shawn Michaels, but I think fans always wondered who was truly better. Um, I know I did. The whole pay-per-view throughout is amazing, but then you've got Triple H and Shawn Michaels. That's not even the main event. Yeah. It just goes the greatest of all level. time. We've used that line far too much in this show. Greatest of all time. But these two really are. And this match proved that Triple H is a top guy. One of his best matches ever. Even though he'd already been multi-time world champion, this match proved that he's a top guy. No, definitely. Should prove that Sean can still go. Definitely. Um, so just to get you a, a bit up to speed then, if you're not aware, if you've not seen... Uh, the last uh, our last episode of Vengeance, check it out. If you've not seen the pay-per-view, check it out. Um, Shawn Michaels, um, he returned at Vengeance after out, being out of wrestling due to a back injury for four years. Uh, Triple H was given the choice of deciding which brand he would appear on, Raw or SmackDown. Uh, Michaels helped him decide by offering him to reform DX on the Raw brand, so Triple H chose to go to Raw. But the following night, as Michael and uh, Michaels and Triple H were in the middle of reforming DX, Triple H turned on Shawn Michaels by nailing him with the pedigree. And on the 29th episode, July 29th episode of Raw, Michaels was found in the parking lot, laying motionless, following, followed uh, an ambush assault. He was also bleeding, so it looked like he'd got his head driven into a, uh, a car window. Um, no one knew who'd done it. Triple H came over. Um, he was concerned for his friend. Uh, but on the next week on Raw, a security camera revealed to Triple H that he had attacked Michaels from behind. And Triple H told Michaels that he did it to prove a point, that Michaels was weak. Michaels then told Triple H he wasn't 100%, but he would be at SummerSlam. So on the August 19th episode of Raw, uh, General Manager Eric Bischoff announced an unsanctioned street fight between Triple H and Michaels. Um, Michaels interfered in Triple H's non-title uh, match with Rock later the night and assaulted Triple H, sending a clear message on the last Raw before SummerSlam uh, that it was not weak and they headed into this match and Michaels it looked like he was back to his best. Yeah, completely agree. Um the, the whole build-up to it is just, like, great storytelling with the vigilantes, and you, you do, you're like, oh, God, this is, you know, it's just, it's great, great storytelling. Um, but the, the only the only bit um, that you pointed out there was that didn't make sense to me, and it's only a little thing, and it wouldn't bother many people, but me being a bit of a an OCD freak, um, the little bit I noticed was when you said that Triple H went to go check on Michaels to see if, you know, if his friend was okay. Doesn't make sense. Triple H pedigreed Shawn Michaels in the middle of the ring. If I do remember, the, there were a, a, an interview with Triple H where he was where, like, Shawn Michaels is my friend, but he's, he tried to hold me down. He's trying to nick my spotlight. So I think it was more Triple H's point of view up to that point where they found Shawn Michaels. It wasn't a sort of like a vengeful attack on his friend. He just didn't want his friend to, friend to keep him down. I thought it was really well for the game's character, being a cerebral assassin. 
It's tax to show Michael's pretend he's concerned about his friend's health. Then reveal it's himself who did it. It's typical WWE booking, like attempted to pull the wool over her eyes. Yeah, it's typical it's typical Vince McMahon creative booking. And very typical Triple H booking. Um, if you think of it in, in the past, sort of a lot of Triple H's storylines, it's always been that, where he's always been pulling the wool over people's eyes. And he still does it to this day with Seth Rollins, with Kevin Owens. It's something that he carries on. Yeah. I'm going to sick of it, to be honest. <laughs> right, so going into the match itself, um, Michaels, he came out fast, what everyone's expecting. Uh, utilising a punch kick offence to start and hitching. Ain't quite a good plancher, to be fair. Um, Triple H took advantage in the match uh, and hit a series of backbreakers onto Michaels. The emphasis that, that um, Triple H put on those backbreakers to Shawn Michaels, um, I felt those. It looked... He did a great job at selling it and making it look like it truly hurt. Um, and the way he just, you know, what you say with Benoit, with the, the in-ring chemistry, the in-ring chemistry oh, that is like... Magical. From the, from the beginning to the end... You're like, God, I mean, I, w- I, I personally, they could have wrestled the whole three hours and I'd have been happy. I'd, I would have been happy. Michael's a couple of good spots. Obviously, there's a famous one where he hits the splash on Triple H from the top of the rope, uh, through a t- uh, from the top of the top rope, sorry, through a table onto the floor. Uh, and then hits his diving, uh, his signature diving elbow off a ladder for two typical Shawn Michaels spots. Uh, the match came to an end when Michaels went for a switch in music, but Triple H reversed into a pedigree but Michaels then reversed the pedigree into like a jackknife roll-up for the free count. But then after the match, Triple H struck Michaels with the sledgehammer twice, uh, forcing Michaels to be carried away on the stretcher. Now, I just want to add about that sledgehammer. Now, we all know it's pretend and we all know it's make-believe, but in what country, in what planet are they trying to make you think that that sledgehammer's real? What's it made out of? It's got to be rubber. Like thin rubber? It's got to be. Hollow rubber? It can't be like a, like a, it can't be like a, 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 like a lump hammer, like a rubber hammer. It can't be one of them. Because that would hurt. That, that, that'd proper hurt. But I think it's got to be some form of plastic covered something or rubber covered something. Well, the only thing that makes me question it is, you know, when Triple H sometimes hits it on the steel steps. Yeah, and he makes and the makes noise of steel it in steel. But it doesn't. Is that one though that he uses for different times? Is it a different gimmick? Is the one that he used then a gimmicked one? Where when he uses it, sometimes where he won't actually use it as a fence. Uh, that's actually a, a sledgehammer. Don't know, but he always. If you, I don't know if you notice it, but I, I, it's very easy to see that. What you, I always notice it. It's always his like taped fingers. Yeah. He has his taped, taped fingers over the sledgehammer, so he's actually just hitting them with yeah. his with his fist rather than the actual sledgehammer. So I mean, but I mean that that's just you know I'm dwelling there, but yeah. And what what planet do you think that it's acceptable to go around hitting people with sledgehammers and they're not <laughs> going to die? Um, Howard Finkel comes out and he wants to get a few things off his chest. This is the first pay-per-view that is announced in this arena since WrestleMania 2. Um, and he says that WWE fans will always have the Fink. Uh, now, Howard Finkel, he's always been one of them. Um, he's always been there. And to me, he's quite synonymous with, like, late 80s, early 90s, announcing new champions. There's only one way that Fink could do it, but it's, it's not your time anymore, Fink. And I think uh, Jerry Lawler touches on this a few times. Uh, I, think, I don't think Jerry Lawler's a fan of the Fink, let's say. No, definitely not. <laughs> Every time uh, Howard Finkel comes on the screen, Jerry Lawler is just like he—he's—he's he's like the voice of the fans, you know. He's just like, get him off, get him. What, what is it? What is he doing now? Like that—that's how he talks, and he's brilliant. And it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's the one bit of comedy um, that we needed in the SummerSlam. And uh, even though it was, you know, it was—it was garbage, but it was comedy, and it did make me laugh. So I'm—I'm I'm happy he had Fink had a little bit 
bit of a moment. <laughs> that was his SummerSlam moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Trish Stratus, she then came out to interrupt. Uh, Trish apologised for slapping the Fink a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she says that the Fink has a sexy voice. And she has a surprise for the Fink. Uh, Trish wants to start it off with a hug. Oh, actually, no, there's a real surprise, and it's Lillian Garcia. Uh, she comes out, she slaps the Fink, she kicks him right in the nuts. Um, yeah, it was just one of them moments, I think. I don't uh, I, I don't know. It got Trish out on TV. Um, yeah, announcers warring. Brilliant. So then we cut to a video montage of Brock Lesnar's rise to the top and The Rock winning the WWE Championship at Vengeance. And then it's time for your main event of the evening. It is the WWE Championship. We have got Brock Lesnar versus The Rock. So we are on to the main event. The Rock versus Brock Lesnar. The Rock versus Brock. Um, this is on a scale of 1 to 10 for hypeness. It's 10. It's up there. And everybody's pumped for this match. And they want to see what's going to happen between the most electrifying man in sports entertainment and the next big thing. Uh, both come out. Both get a big pop. However, The Rock, throughout this whole match... I feel like the crowd at this point can sense something. And I think they can sense that they're getting a bit tired of The Rock and they think that this guy is more interested in Hollywood than he is interested in the WWE. And this is why he's getting booed. Because um, obviously Brock Lesnar is meant to be the heel. The Rock is meant to be the face. But we're in backwards land here. He's the one guy who's get, meant to be getting cheered. He's getting booed. The guy who's meant to be getting booed. He's getting cheered. Oh, the match was for main event. It wasn't the best. Some some main events, but 
for one of the Rock Smashers, it was a great match. Brock Lesnar always been a great wrestler. There's a bit of the match that I loved, though, from The Rock, giving the rock bottom to Paul Heyman through a table. Yeah. That was awesome. But a nice combination of reversals towards the end. I think, to be fair, it was it was quite a decent match. Um, it was one I remember certainly back then I was quite looking forward to. Um, I was a big fan of Brock Lesnar coming through and he was just someone new and quite unique. Um, he had quite a meteoric rise, uh, obviously winning King of the Ring early on, beating Hulk Hogan as well uh, on his way to the match. Uh, as you said, Rock was on his way to Hollywood full-time, um, so there wasn't much doubt to the outcome of before the start of the match. It was just a matter of how. Fans booing The Rock, that got me a little bit, to be fair. Uh, it really, really got me. Because, yeah, he's going to Hollywood, uh, but he's, he's given a good few years to uh, to the WWE before this time. Like, let's go fast forward a little bit. WrestleMania 20, Goldberg, Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar, everyone knew he was leaving to go to the NFL. The fans booed the shit out of him. Uh, mainly because he'd only been with the WWE for, what is it, two years? Something like that. Nothing. The Rock two or three years. Rock had been with the WWE for a good, solid six, seven years, something along them lines. Um, so he'd give blood, sweat and tears, so why not let him go and be a movie star? Right, so that was SummerSlam 2002. Uh, for me, as, as we've all we've covered throughout the uh, throughout the, the podcast, um, it was one of the greatest SummerSlams of all time. Uh, there was, wasn't really a dull match on the card. Um, every performer goes out with the intention to steal the show. Uh, the competition between Raw and SmackDown really, really, really felt during the event uh, and only elevated each superstar to that much uh, to that much better performance. And the card, as we keep saying, was full of main events. We don't even get one or two pay-per-views that are even close to the level that SummerSlam 2002 is. You've got Kurt Angle, Mysterio, Flair, Jericho, Guerrero, Edge, Benoit, Van Damme, Undertaker, Brock Lesnar, The Rock, Triple H, Shawn Michaels. You know, what a list. They're all legends, Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers. Um, I don't think, personally, we'll ever get another pay-per-view from here on out with the sort of calibre and quality for a long, long time. Uh, but we could be wrong. See what the future holds in this timeline. Right, so, uh, CJ, I don't know if you want to give me your, your match of the night and also your rating. Um, now, how are we going to do a bit of a rating system on the Ruthless Aggression podcast? Uh, we're not going to do a Dave Meltzer out of five. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to compare the pay-per-view to any wrestler, any single wrestler in the world. So, CJ, match of the night... And which wrestler compares to this pay-per-view? The match of night is, without a doubt, uh, Triple H versus Shawn Michaels. I don't think there's another match on the card that can, uh, just for the, the pure amount of emotion and storytelling in that match alone, it, it just, it, for me, is the best match. Um, and if I was to rate it as a wrestler, uh, for a wrestler being 
of that 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 caliber, I would say The Rock. And the reason why I picked The Rock is I found SummerSlam uh, thoroughly entertaining, and The Rock's uh, a thoroughly entertaining wrestler. Sure, Michael Triple H, best match at night by far. Started an amazing length of rivalry. If I had to rate his pay-view out of, as a wrestler, I'd call it Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle can wrestle, he can brawl. This pay-per-view and wrestling, he had brawl, had everything. Spot on pay-per-view. No, I'd, I, yeah, I'd say match of the night, I'd go Triple H, Shawn Michaels. I think that absolutely stole the show. Um, as I said earlier, one of the, if not the greatest SummerSlam match ever. Uh, and if I, had to, if I had to rate it, compare it to a superstar, um, I'm, I'm working your wavelength. Um, I'd probably have to go Triple H because Triple H, this show had everything and Triple H has everything. So that was episode three of the Ruthless Aggression Era podcast. That was SummerSlam 2002. Um, until next time, my name's been Dave. It's been CJ. And Mike. Peace out, people. Ruthless Aggression. <laughs>